And the end is near. So we're going to finish Galatians today, at least, hopefully, because we're definitely starting Colossians next time. And uh, so we, last time we talked about, it was a topical study about how do we avoid falling in the same traps the circumcision party falls into, because I think that's, it's easier for us to do that than we might think. And we talk about profiling them, how there's a few things. One, that they were trying to be justified by law, and also that they, they really missed the big picture, is the way somebody put it. They didn't put it all together, which I think is right, because I think what Paul's saying is like, okay, so you guys didn't really get the Abrahamic covenant, which is what to bless all nations. Also, you misunderstand the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, because that was supposed to be something temporary to bring you to the Messiah, and you don't get the new covenant. So you're zero out of three, right? So you didn't, you didn't see the big picture, how it all glues together. Uh, so I think that's true. Also, it's always struck me as odd how they were willing, so willing to reject authority. I mean, willing to push on Peter, you know, there's that fear element where they really were trying to manipulate people. The fear element was really kind of gross. Also, they were willing to reject Paul, okay? I mean, Paul's not a nobody here, and the Holy Spirit. You think about it, I mean, Paul makes that argument. It's like the Holy Spirit did miracles among you to prove something, and they apparently just were not listening to that. that, That's a pretty pretty big deal. Also, and this was something Brad Pettis brought up, how they seem to be gatekeeping. Because, and that's something, an attitude that we see in the Gospels as well, that Jesus ran into with the Pharisees. This whole idea of, like, we're going to figure out who's in and out. You know, you need to listen to us. There's these super Christians who we get it and you know. And that might be what's going on here. It's possible they're saying that you Gentiles, eh, maybe you're in, but if you really want to be a real Christian, you need to upgrade to the circumcision. Like, either way, that's a form of gatekeeping. Like, best case scenario, that would be the, probably the better case scenario. It is still a form of gatekeeping. Uh, so I, I, think that, I think that's exactly what's going on there. Also notice how they're focusing on them. I mean, Paul really doesn't think their motives are even in the right place on this. Uh, the, I think one of the, there's a whole bunch of solutions that we could think of for this. I think probably one of the biggest things is just identifying it, like looking for some of those signs, because I think any of us can fall into those traps. Like, if you're into the point where you feel like you're never saved because you're never good enough, I'm not saying that you're necessarily falling to their attitude, but that is one of those things where if you think that you have to, you can only be saved if you're perfect, then you need to rethink this, right? This is, this is not going to work. So either that's going to lead to one or two things. Like somebody mentioned this, how it's either going to lead to you just being crushed because you're never going to feel good enough, or two, you're going to convince yourself you're actually good enough in pulling this off, and that's, probably, that's the worst-case scenario because then you get, you get arrogant. And that's how, so that happens as well. Also, I think probably focusing on things of this world, right? How many times... You see Christians who are just way too focused on politics. I'm not saying there's not some place for us to participate in the appropriate way, but that does not lead to, that leads to dissensions, right? If you think about the way people think about this stuff, in many cases, uh, they go too far, then it leads to dissensions. So when it's gone too far, I think it leads to that. Also, fleshly desires, right? If you convince yourself that you're good enough because I show up on Sunday, okay, well, what about the other six days of the week? I think in some ways, the real Christians are, it's obvious, more obvious on Monday because a lot of people look like a Christians on Sundays. Who's still living that life on Monday? That's a different, that's a different question here. All right, so with all that said, we're going to have a prayer. James is going to lead us a prayer, and then we'll get started. Dear Father in heaven, we have good to see you, Father. We are grateful to have this opportunity to come get week to gather with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and to study a portion of your word. Put away the thoughts of the world Father, we thank you for these inspired words of Paul. Let us 
we study this evening and to learn from it and apply it to our life. Be with Luke as he teaches the class. We're grateful for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So the plan tonight, I'm gonna we're gonna try to have finish off chapter six about half the time roughly, and then half the time just doing an overall review. So I'm gonna start. I'm gonna read chapter six. I'm actually gonna start in verse chapter five. There's a lot of places in here where the chapter divisions maybe they're okay. Some are just bad. Uh, this is one where I think they really should be one verse up. So I'm gonna start reading in chapter five, verse twenty-six. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, being jealous of one another. Brothers and sisters, if a person is discovered in some sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Pay close attention to yourselves so that you are not tempted to. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if, everybody, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one examine his own work, then he can take pride in himself and not compare himself with someone else. For each one will carry his own load. Now the one who receives instructions in the word must share all good things with the one who teaches it. Do not be deceived, God will not be made a fool. For a person will reap what he sows, because the person who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So we must not grow weary in doing good, for in due time we will reap, if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who belong to the family of faith. See what big letters I write, I make as I write to you in my own hand. Those who want to make a good showing in external matters are trying to force you to be circumcised. They do so only to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not obey the law themselves, but they want you to be circumcised so that they can boast about your flesh. But may I boast, never boast, except for in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. The only thing that matters is a new creation. And all who will behave in accordance with this rule, peace and mercy be on them and on the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. Okay, what kind of things did you notice or questions did you have about chapter 6? Yes, Alan. I was reading that uh, there mentions the Greek word there for caused or called up in or overtaken in a trespass or a sin has to do more with a surprise, not someone who is out to deliberately involve themselves in something, but they have caught up in it unaware, not realizing that it was a sin. And so then the spiritual one must go to him and explain this, uh, obviously maybe a newer brother, and explain this and bring him back, lest he himself is also Okay, so you said the word for overtaken means like to be caught up in a surprise as opposed to like a, a choice that says, I'm just going to go do this thing. Yeah, interesting. Which would make sense why you may be telling people that you knew what the project is the point you made. People to help those people out because they may be caught in it and don't even really realize what they've gotten themselves into. Yeah, good point. Yes.
Okay, that's interesting. Okay, so I didn't know. I have to. Somebody needs to fact check the John Hancock. It's probably not true, but that would that would be funny if he was just doing that just to kind of be a troll. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, that's it's interesting. So what he says in verse eleven, see what big letters I make as I write in my own hand. Maybe he's trying to use this to accentuate the text and point out that this is something that's more important. I hadn't thought about that. Sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. So you, you're saying like verse 11 leading into verse 12 when he starts talking about circumcision? Okay. I mean, because it does seem like it would be starting that he would be writing with big letters here and then continuing on. It's hard to tell because the text in ours is exactly the same shape. <laughs> and there's another view, which is that if Paul... Paul is likely using a scribe to write these things down. That, that was very common for letters back then. They just did that. And he actually refers to that in other letters. And that maybe if his vision is failing, because remember he said, if you would pluck your eyes out and give them to me. And then he mentions having some sort of disability they didn't criticize him for. That maybe he's penning the end of the letter in his own to just kind of leave his signature. But if his vision is failing, maybe that's why he's using large letters. I mean, who knows? It's, it's a theory. Yes, sir? I think it's interesting how Paul's focus, not only in this section, but even in the whole book, but especially in this section, is more about how we relate and interact with and, and are concerned ourselves with others and setting ourselves aside and not so concerned about how we look. So he talks about starting off, you know, um, don't provoke one another and, and help someone and bear one another's burdens. Don't think more highly of yourself, you know. So setting ourselves aside and thinking more and concentrating on how we can we can be a blessing to others. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So it's not focused on how we look, it's focused on other, in an appropriate way, right, to help them out. Because that makes a lot of sense because you see people who are reacting to something and you realize they're reacting because they're personally offended, not because of the situation. And as soon as that happens, the rest of the conversation goes downhill. Yeah, good point. Which is funny because his opponents, he's arguing that they're, they're focused on these external matters in entirely the wrong way, right, which is kind of the flip side of it. Alan? Dealing with everyday human existence and the problems, he's saying to bear with one another in those everyday heavy problems, not just your, you know, light things, but there are heavy things each of them had to go through. And part of that backs up to the, the ones who are spiritual, being not just the elders, but everyone is to help yeah, the, the whole bearing with one another, that's what we do every day. Like I said, there's no limit on it. This is exactly how we deal with the big problems, which is precisely the sort of thing Galatians is working about. I also like that phrase. There was somebody, I can't remember who it was, and I don't want to say a name because I might get it wrong, but we had a, one of the prayer services, and somebody made the point about how sometimes we don't feel like we're good enough to know how to deal with some of these problems, but they said, read what it says here. Those who are spiritual, that's the qualifications. Doesn't mean you have every answer for it, but it means you have enough to figure out what the answer. I thought that was a really good point. Mitch?
taking the focus off of us once again. Um, it, it needs to be in that you're crucified with Christ, not circumcised or not circumcised. Yeah, good point. So verse 15, you see he's got the contrast. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts everything. And then what, there's a flip, because that's going to focus on us. What matters is a new creation, which is, shifts the focus, which I think is a lot of what's going on here. Is we shift the focus away from ourselves. We need to see that bigger picture of how we identify in Christ. Now, it's we in Christ, of course, but we have to keep a focus on him. Yes, ma'am. Okay. We started in 526, so we don't have to cover that. <laughs> okay, 525. Look what the Spirit shows up twice, okay? So the question is, how does this play out? Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, then let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. What do you think that means? Right? See, Spirit shows up twice, so what does that mean? Raymond. That is the shortest. That is officially the shortest answer you've ever given. Contrary to the to the flesh, but I think to Nina's point though, one of them says you live by the Spirit, and then the other one says behave in accordance with the Spirit. So what's the distinction? Because I think sometimes we may read this and say, well, wait, if we're living by the Spirit, that means we're doing what the Spirit wants, right? But then isn't that exactly what the second part says? <laughs> living in accordance to it. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Okay, so then on that one, the first part would be the claim, right? If, if you, I'll, I'm going to modify what it says just to make it more clear. If you claim to live by the Spirit, then live by the Spirit. Like live that out in a way that's consistent with that. Yeah, that, that would make sense, right? I think it kind of parallels Ephesians 3 or maybe 4 pretty well about, um, if, you know, walk in the Okay, yeah, so then that would be the other side, which is it focuses on the calling. You were called to have this change in relationship. Okay, you live, I'll change the translation again to make it more clear. You live, in a certain sense, because of the Spirit, so live accordingly, which means living out the rest of your life. That is actually how I view it as well. Like, it's just basic saying, like, the Spirit did something for you. So that means it has to be a life-changing event. So now live accordingly, which then fits, I think, with the rest because this is precisely why you bear with others' burdens. God bear, bore with you, right? So go ahead and that means you have to live like the way that you were treated in a certain sense. Uh, Bob and then David. That verse 25 just follows what talking about the fruits of the Spirit. And so those are because of the relationship things that we would do normally because of the relationship. They're the outputs of that relationship. 
And uh, the next section is going to talk about if someone fails in doing that, helping them. Then right before that, he says, don't become conceited, provoking one another, being jealous of one another. Okay? Like it's been said, we claim to be living by the Spirit. We're going to be showing the fruits of the Spirit. Don't be conceited. Prove it. Do things which are in accordance with the Spirit. Such as uh, building one another up, helping others uh, when they fall, and all of them. Yeah, good point. We have to read this in context. The fruit of the Spirit is right before that. And the, the works of the flesh is before that, even farther back. And then this actually makes a lot of sense in context because he's going on to say, okay, you need to live by the fruit of the Spirit. As he continues on, that means bearing with one another and not becoming conceited, which goes, the conceited part would obviously go back to the works of the flesh. David. Yeah, this is this true. One verse up, you look at that contrast. You have crucified the flesh. It means it's dead. That's what crucifixion means. It is dead and people don't survive crucifixion. Right? So you're dead. What lives in you? Well, it's, it's the spirit lives in you, right? And this is so that, yeah, that, that fits really, really nicely. Yes, Brad. And you got to remember that living by the flesh is synonymous with living by the law. And in verse 18, we're taking like two or three steps backwards here. Verse 18 says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So the same outcome of gratifying the flesh, it's the same if you live under the law. And God poured out His Spirit in Jesus and freed us from the burden of the law and the burden of the flesh. Because they have the same outcome. If you try and live and be justified by the law, you're condemned by the law. And you're condemned when you live under the flesh. So, if you, since you live, since you're alive because of the Spirit, because you don't live under the law anymore, you're not gratifying the flesh, then you need to walk according to the Spirit. I love that we're rolling right into the review because we're going to keep going until we're going to get to chapter one and then the review will be done. <laughs> But yeah, I agree. That, to me, that was one of the things that, and I put this in the, in the review notes of something that I had been kind of surprised at with these cluster of words. And when you follow those clusters, you're kind of surprised sometimes at the stuff that, like the, the living under law and living under flesh winds up being crossed. I, I imagine Jews would have been shocked by this. But then again, when you understand that law was written for unrighteous people, right? It was written to constrain them. Then it, it starts to fit a lot more than people have kind of missed the point here. Uh, Leanne, I think I saw.
Yeah, I, this is totally true. So we think of your dad, right? The old self cr- crucified. Here's how some people will incorrectly think of it as. I remember a Christian who kept saying, he said, Christians cannot sin. I'm thinking, well, I think you just blew that one, buddy. Okay. And he was quoting from 1 John, but he wasn't quoting it in context. So I think he was confused on this. Like, oh, it's just dead. You're not possible that you can sin. Well, that doesn't seem, that doesn't make any sense, even scripturally. It is a fight that we constantly have to maintain that, to really think, you know, we're still tempted. That's the point. Which, of course, if you were to not hold this view, the rest of Galatians wouldn't even make any sense because he goes on to tell you how do you restore these people, right? So we should expect that. I remember it was Paul Earnhardt. I always want to say Dale Earnhardt. I'm not even in a NASCAR, but I, I just... For some reason, I can't get it out of my head. But Paul Earnhardt said, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum of the faithful. Right? Meaning that we should expect that we need to work with each other. We should just kind of bake that into the plan. You're going to see some things. It turns out we're not perfect. And yeah, that's, that's why we're here. I always love it when people be like, oh, I don't want to go to church. There's hypocrites there. I'm like, yeah. And why don't you join us? Because you're a hypocrite too, you know? But I don't, they don't look at it that way. Did I see another hand raise? I'm trying to pay more attention to you all on the, on the edges. All right, let's go to a question that was Ryan Davis brought this up. I think it was on class number three. And it's kind of funny because it, it looks like it's backwards thinking. Okay, if you look in chapter, chapter six, verse two, Paul says, you should carry each other's burdens. And then just a few verses later, he says, but carry your own load. Well, which one? How do we harmonize that? Yes, David. Uh, my understanding is burdens and load are two different words. Uh, hmm. Now, the old King James uses burden in verse 5 as well. Uh, but the burden in verse 2, you know, is like what Alan was saying. That's a very big, overwhelming load that no one can really be expected to handle alone. The load in verse 5 is what a normal person could carry. Uh, you know, so basically, pull your own weight. And so you're not asked to carry something that is impossible to carry. You, you pull your, do your part. And I think that's what he's talking about. So those are two different things. And in some cases, it's lost in the translation because we're looking at it. Okay, so you're saying then, so the words are different, and therefore they're talking about two different things. One being this overwhelming load that obviously all humans, minus one, Jesus, have failed on. And so, and then the other one, but that of course doesn't mean we don't pull our own parts. So that might be actually drawing a contrast in there. Okay, yeah, Bob. Help me, but I need to help myself as well. 
I'm responsible for what I do. Okay, so in that case, you're saying it's like that, the whole idea of we have to help each other, which means I have to, I have to put some effort into this for myself. I also have to put an effort to help everybody else out, and then it all works out when we, we're a community like that. Uh, Alan? Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Mike? I go back to, and I think Bob just mentioned that in verse 5, I go back to the idea of it's a responsibility, but verse 5 does not, does not say alone, right? For each one shall bear his own load alone. It doesn't say that. And I think in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you know, no, no temptation is so taking you to such as common man, but God is faithful, will not allow you to be attempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation may away the escape you can bear it. It doesn't mean that God has promised me that I by myself can can avoid every temptation, but the way of escape is potentially assistance from others and always assistance from God. And so, as I look at verse five, I see for each one shall bear his own load. I have a responsibility to do that, but there may be times that I'm like this person in, in verse two that I need help, and that's where others come into play as well. So I see it where it could be the same thing. But it's just saying that we have the responsibility to bear our burden, but yet don't think they always have to do it. Yeah, that's a good point. So uh, when we talk about 1 Corinthians 10, 13, right, that was the passage, and we talk about the way of escape, part of that way of escape, like you said, is we're relying on God, also relying on our brethren to help us with this. This is one of the reasons we ask for help. This is one of the best ways to help, you know, for us to bearing our own burden is to sometimes step out to ask other people to help us with that sort of thing. That may be the way to escape. That's a good point. Ryan? So I think sometimes we read those two statements and we see one as carry your own burden and let others carry your burden for you. That's, that's not what it's saying. It's saying carry your own burden and look for more if you can. Um, it's it's kind of like Paul said in the Ephesians uh, about you know, let the thief no longer steal, let the labor Yeah, and I, I had that verse down too. It's Ephesians 4.28. He says there, he's talking to thieves. He's like, thieves don't steal. But he doesn't just say stop stealing. He actually gives a positive replacement, which is have enough that you can share with others. And so if you take it here, you could, you could just be simply saying that you should be trying to bear your own load and have enough love to help others too. And if everybody tries to do that, maybe it's kind of like in marriage where they say, don't try to be where I'm going to do 50% and you're going to do 50%. That doesn't work out well. I'm going to try to do 100%. You're going to try to do 100%. And when we think like that, that's how it all gets done. And that's how a good marriage works. Uh, Mitch? So I, I guess I was thinking that it was all tied back to verse 1 um, and this idea of um, verse 2 is specifically 
referring to bearing one another's birds, it seems like that is in a trespass. But it then seems like it is almost a warning. Okay, you're going to be helping this person, but if you think that you're something when you're nothing, you're deceiving yourself. Don't think that you're better than you are because you're helping someone out in their trouble. For each one to examine their own work, and then we'll have then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to one another. For each one is to bear his own love. So you're supposed to be examining yourself going back to this log in your eye. Don't think that you're better than someone just because they're going through something. Make sure that you're looking, examining your life. Are you growing or are you not? That's the standard for your stuff, not what someone else is going through. Okay, and that would make a lot of sense because it goes back to that whole idea of not comparing. So basically, it's very easy for us to grow arrogant when we're dealing with somebody else who's got a problem and think, well, at least I don't have to deal with that problem. Okay, well, yeah, you got a different problem now. And, and I think that makes a lot of sense too because one of the things where I started, I've shifted my view a bit, and it's not a major thing, but when it says in here about how you restore, look at verse one, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, Play close attention to yourself so you're not tempted to. So I thought this was just a general idea. Anytime you're dealing with some temptation, understand that you could fall into it. But there's dealing with some temptations where it's not, when you're helping somebody else, you may not easily fall into that same one. But then there are others where it is very easy to fall into the exact same trap. Here's one. You're dealing with somebody who's being brash and arrogant and prideful. It is very easy when you deal with somebody like that to become brash right back to them. I mean, it is so easy to slip right back into that. And remember, he says they're, they're biting and devouring one another. So this has gotten negative. This is precisely how both sides end up being bad. And I've gone back, I went back and looked at some of the historic controversies in the Church of Christ recently. And I did it specifically, not to look at the issues, but to look at how people treated each other. And it, it's just really sad. And in some cases, on both sides, just fall apart. And I remember my, my grandmother, she grew up in Kansas, very, very conservative church. I mean, like, we say conservative. We're talking about one single cup. You can't have multiple cups in the Lord's Supper. No preacher. You can't have a preacher. Couldn't have Bible class. And so really, really conservative. And she said to me that they were splitting over, I think it was the head covering. I don't even know what her view on the head covering was, but it doesn't matter. But she said, I saw how one side treated the other, and I knew I couldn't go with that side because of the way they treated it. It wasn't even the point. It was something else was happening. And I thought, you know, I think she's onto something there. We gotta be careful with that. And unfortunately, you may find that both sides are actually doing something wrong. Yeah, so that, that would make sense. Yes, sir. I think the first one had, a lot of times has to do with external lows. You know, a Job situation. His, his friends came supposedly to help bear his burden. They were lousy at it. But anyway, I'm thinking of a young man down in Texas, he was not a Christian, but he was dating a young Christian girl. He was an only child, his parents were older, they were uh, sickly, one was in the hospital, I think maybe in a coma or something, even. he couldn't see him. Both of them ended up dying from COVID within a month. So this young man, he didn't have any family around, he was overloaded with this, with this burden. The church wrapped their arms around him, he was so 
taken in by the love and the care that he got from his girlfriend's spiritual family that he became a Christian to, to carry his own hope to share with others. Okay, good point. Yeah, it might be external, like external burdens, you know, things that happen in your life, losing, losing people. And, and that's precisely how, I think a lot of people will see that, and they'll see, that's when they see the love of Christ. I mean, Raymond just told me his story, and it's, it's really pretty good, where he talks about all these people coming to his life. It didn't seem like they were, they were they weren't trying to get something done, you know, like, oh, we're going to be kind to him so that he, he changes his view on something. It was just people who loved him, right? And that unconditional love, I think, gets people to see that this is these Christians are the real McCoy. They're the real thing. Yeah, good point. Let's go to the reviews. I just looked. We only have 15 minutes left. All right. Let's go to... I'm going to skip this part for time's sake. So, anything in the entire book of Galatians that really just stuck out to you, I will qualify by saying that some of the times, a lot of times the things that stick out are not... That's just something you didn't know, but maybe it just landed a little bit different or somebody made a comment... And it just made it sit differently with you. Hopefully better. <laughs> Bob. Well, I, I think this has been mentioned many times throughout this, but the emphasis is that you don't have to be perfect. We're all struggling, we're all fighting the same battle, and we're all to help each other. And it doesn't mean we're not the ones that need to be perfect. We need fire, we're not the ones that are yeah, we don't have to be perfect. Remember that, that quote in East of Eden? He says, now that you don't have to be perfect, you can be good. Right? I think that, that's really freeing. But it's not freeing in a way that you're oh, I can just do whatever I want. No, no, it's, it makes it so it's like, I have a path forward. I, I have that, that vigor of life again. And I really think that drives us forward. I 100% agree with that. Which is one of the things that made a real impact on me when I first really studied Galatians. Raymond. Yeah, I like how you put it. The list of things that does not save us is large. And some of those things are important in that list. It still doesn't mean that they necessarily save us. The list of things that save us is one, right? It's Christ. It's really focused on Him. Yeah, I totally agree. What else? Yes, ma'am. You. <laughs>
Yeah, that list of things that you're free are is, is huge. Like you said, fear, your past, and of this age. I mean, that's a big one too. And I think that's where when you see people, that's why I mentioned that people getting too involved in politics, I think they're, it's like they forget. This isn't all it is. It's bigger than this, right? And that, that actually is really freeing. It means I don't have to be an expert in all of this long list of stuff that people are arguing about. Maybe I just don't have an opinion on it. Okay, on some of this stuff. I just can't be an expert on everything. And it's fine, right? Yes, Mike. Uh, Galatians 6.10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are in the household of faith. That, that has really hit me, and I've really actually spent some time studying that. And it seems like for years growing up, the emphasis was always on, especially to those who are in the household of faith. And I think we do a really good job of that. But first, before that, it says, let us do good to all. So there's no limitation there. All is all. Especially. So in other words, you know, you're expected to do good to the household of faith, especially because we have this relationship already, right? But but we need to think outside of this building. We need to think off of these pews. We need to be thinking about all and what can we do to do good to all. And in doing that, then I think that we are showing Christ and and hopefully helping them to understand what Christ would have, have to do. So that that really that really hit me. Yeah, that's a good point. So there's a tendency, we, we misread Galatians 6.10. We can misread it in two different ways. One would be that we should be focused on people outside, which would be like, which is one well, you, you brought up. But sometimes we can get so focused on bringing people who aren't Christians and focusing on changing their minds, we, we kind of forget the other side. So you didn't mention that. But the other extreme is that we say, the household of faith. Do good to the household of faith, which is not what it says. It says, to all especially the household of faith. So we have to take both of those attributes. And like you said, that's how we show people the love of Christ. I mean, Gary's point about the love being shown to somebody who changes yeah. their hearts. This is... This, that was a perfect example. Yeah. Yeah, good point. Yeah, that's a good, really good point. Yes, right. Yeah, that, I like the way you put it, too, because you said, so the laws for unrighteous people and the magnitude of the law really tells us how messed up people are, right? Which is a really good point. I mean, there's some stuff in the law you're like, seriously? They have to be told not to do this? I mean, what's wrong with you people? And you do see corporate, corporate rules because I remember being in, I had a manager who was in some training. He's like, I don't understand why we have this stuff about managers not publicly humiliating their employees. I'm like, Ooh. And then in the training, somebody says, well, sometimes I think it's necessary. He's like, what in the world? I guess that's why we have the rule. I mean, you just think that would be obvious, but apparently it's not. Yes, Brad. I think um, I, I have read Galatians in the past and thought, man, this, uh, this was really relevant back then because uh, they struggled with Judaizing teachers. 
And I think going through it this time, and we've talked about it a lot, is even today, making a checklist that we feel like we're saved by, over and above being saved by the King um, and by His sacrifice. So I think, um, I think that has stood out to me and has helped me rethink some things and highlighted that I've seen a lot of things in a checklist mentality and I, I relished and was comforted and confident in the checklist when that's no different than being confident in the law. And so, and I think that is a, that is a big question that we all need to wrestle with is, is Galatians something that was really uh, relevant back then? Or is it relevant today? And can we see the times where we've created a checklist and we're really confident in keeping it? Yeah, and that was the shock that I saw the first time I really studied it. Because I stuck it in that box. I thought it was only relevant in first century. You know, we don't say this. If we said it, it would sound more ridiculous. Because we talk about how Paul wrote to them, but he wrote for everyone. And I, I had been told it was only relevant. Literally, people would actually say this. It was really only relevant to the law. And the first time I read this, I was like, oh, no. It's not what it's. It's bigger than that. And I had to quit. I had to wrestle with that myself because I had my own little checklist and the truth was. Uh, and it's also why I never really felt safe because I had a checklist that said be like Jesus. But yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Mitch. And to, and to Brad's point, our, we've made that checklist and now we're holding others to that checklist as well. The way that they were dealing with this circumcision. Yeah, we, and that's where it really starts to cross another line when we start holding other people to it. And that's where you can go down a whole bunch of dark paths. This is where the, the, the pride and the arrogance can come into pretty quickly. Well, I got this worked out. I remember it was an elder in the Church of Christ who once wrote in a blog and he said, I've noticed that there are people who will take two or three years to come to an opinion on something and they take two weeks to require everybody else to get up to speed with them or they're going to split the church. It's like, what is going on there? You know? Uh, yes, ma'am. Still, be our problems may be in a different area. 
Yeah, that, the whole thing of boasting showing up over and over and over again. I ought to tell you what's going on here, right? This is precisely what happens. It, you put out how we have to, we, there's two ways we can go. We evaluate ourselves according to God, or we evaluate ourselves according to others. And the others part is where you get the, well, at least I'm better than that guy. That's where the arrogance comes from. And when you really start looking at yourself from God's vantage point, that's kind of where this, this checklisty approach, it seems like, can either lead you to arrogance or to lead you to just being crushed. Because you start looking from God's perspective without the grace aspect. If you're really going to go to a checklist, it's like, yeah, God gets to check every list way better than you will ever do. So how do you ever feel good enough? And that's why the other side is that you get crushed where you never feel good enough unless you understand how this all works with, with grace. Yeah, uh, you put it, was it the, that boasting and pride is kind of the foundation of all sins? That really doesn't, that kind of even goes all the way back to the garden. Or, you know, they could have trusted God, who clearly knows better than they do. Or, well, maybe we could do this ourselves, right? <laughs> I, think that's, I think you're onto something there. Raymond? Yeah, so repenting of your good works, by that you mean thinking that my good works show that I'm good enough, which of course works if you always do good works and you never have bad works, which is the problem with it. Yeah, and I think, I do think you're right that sometimes we as a congregation, we as a church, universal church, do need to make sure that we, we don't think we're perfect and make people know that that's us. And that's where I was talking to a friend and he told me, he said, you know, I, I grew up with this person. He said, I've changed a lot on a lot of things. He said, I realized when I go back, I was really focused a lot on appearance. In knowing that I have a lot of difficulties, but wanting to kind of give this image that I've got things under control and I'm doing good, you know, I'm doing good. This is kind of repenting of the good works. It's a good thing that you're doing these good things, but I, you know, you're missing that balance. And he said, I've changed on that. And I told him, I said, I have too. In fact, and it relates to evangelism because I told him, I have asked God to forgive me of the way I talk to non-Christians early on because of the way I talked to them, I think came off as me talking down. And, and later it occurred to me that I think that I was doing it in the wrong way, but maybe I had the right message. And then I was like, I don't know if I even talked to him about the gospel. I think what I gave him was a salvation flowchart and missed that big picture. You know, so I don't even, I'm not even convinced I was telling him the right thing. So I have a different approach now that is, I think, way more winsome 
and humble, to your point. Was that the last bell? All right. Awesome. Thanks, y'all.